Um, I, I've titled today's message to see a generation change. And uh, I do want to minister to you for a moment about what God has done with us, uh, with millennials. It's so funny because it's taken me probably about 10 years to realize that God's called me to have a voice in the millennial generation. It's funny because when you think about millennials, most people still think they're like 16 and 17 years old or 18, 20. They're getting older, people. I mean, the oldest person in a gen uh, the millennial generation could be 38. You are like, no, that's a working class. No, <laughs> that could still be a millennial. Well, in, uh, in March 18th, 2009, I was laying in bed and I was tossing and turning. I couldn't sleep. And uh, I, I heard this voice just speak to me. I said, Ryan, why don't you get up out of bed and come spend some time with me? Now, I grew up in a charismatic church environment, so I knew that God could speak. But I need to let you know a little bit about where I was. In March of 2009, I'm in Austin, Texas, pursuing a music career. I was convinced that God wanted me to save the world through rock and roll. And he needed me to be a rock star for him because Jesus is not a rock star and he needs you to be a rock star. And somehow we had gone from praise and worship to like Christian rock to now that we were singing about Jesus, but just a little bit, and then eventually dropped the name of Jesus and we're singing about God, and then we dropped God because we didn't want to offend anybody. So by the end of it, we're just talking about themes and stories, hoping that people will understand the message of the gospel. Somehow I had taken Jesus and completely removed him out of the equation and said, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff for you. Just watch this. You know, because God sent me to the earth to save the world through rock and roll. And I was going to change my name from Ryan Aldaffer to Ryan Starr because Ryan Aldaffer is not a rock name. But Ryan Starr is. And I had this idea of having tattoos. I really did this, y'all. I was going to have tattoos all the way around that were stars. And then when I hit that drop D, I could put my... Like this says Jesus or star. I don't know. So I'm, I'm in Austin, Texas. I've been there two, two years pursuing a music career. I'm getting better and better at my gifting, but yet I'm getting further and further away from Jesus. I'm laying there in bed and I'm thinking, no, this isn't God because I'm not doing well. I, I'm bound by pornography at this time. I found out that in my family line, we have a high tolerance for alcohol. I didn't know that until I got to Austin. Boy, I was just chugging stuff. And my buddy was like, hey, man, that's like a whole pint by yourself. Do you feel anything? No, didn't know. But I was getting so far removed from God and from the people of God. When I heard this voice, I thought, I don't know. So I just tossed and turned back and forth. Second time, I heard it again. About 10 minutes later, Ryan, why don't you get up out of bed and come spend some time with me? And I was like, now I'm going to be a good Christian and a charismatic one. That's the devil. Because if I get up, I'm going to go look at pornography, and that is not the Lord. So I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Kind of reminds me of when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, and they said, it's a ghost. In the Greek, that means it's an evil spirit. I did worse. I didn't just call Jesus an evil spirit. I called him the devil. I said, I rebuke you in Jesus' in, in your name, Jesus' name. And then I heard it a third time about 10 minutes later. And what little Bible I knew at the time, I was like, Samuel, Eli, how many times did he get called? Was that my last call? So I got up and I did like every good Christian did. I got my Bible out. I dusted off because it had been in just the corner for a long time. I put it on the table. I opened it up. And I was just like, I didn't know where to go. So I, like, I went to like Psalm 23 and I was like, okay, we'll start here. So I go here, and then all of a sudden, it was like I was going from cross-reference to cross-reference. And all of a sudden, it was like somebody was guiding me from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture. Forty-five minutes later, I was reading the Word, and I was reading the Scripture, and I began to see in two dimensions. I was seeing in the natural. I was reading the pages. 
And I was reading these words. And as I read these words, I saw in another dimension these words lift up off the page as I read past them. And they went right into my mouth and into my stomach. I freaked. But I also knew this was God. Something's happening. And I just... I just began to weep because, you know, at the time I didn't know Hebrews 4.12. It says the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing in the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. I didn't understand that Jesus said when he was tempted by the devil, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not proceeded, but continually proceeds out of his mouth. It's a relationship with God that he speaks through his word. And he speaks right now here to anyone who will hear. I didn't know that 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, one of my favorite scriptures, says that when you believe the word of God, it works effectively in your life. I didn't understand that, but all of a sudden I'm seeing these words. I'm eating the word of God. Something changed inside of me, and I was marked. A month later, April 30th, 2009, I've been spending the whole month just getting closer and closer to God doing anything I could. I was listening to sermons. I was watching videos. I was listening to uh, podcasts of people talking about the Lord. And the Lord just guided my whole step because I just wanted him. And April 30th, I'm watching this DVD. And uh, the preacher preached about being immersed into God, being fully, fully submitted and fully under the lordship of God. And I remember when the video finished, I was just crying out to God. They're doing the altar ministry. And I'm like, oh God, I want you to be Lord over my life. Take every part of me that doesn't have you in it. Be, be king of my life. And as I'm crying out to God, the whole room is filled with this like tangible feeling. And I got goosebumps everywhere. And so I just began to cry more. And it reminded me of what happened. And then all of a sudden I heard a voice and it said, someone was just set free from sexual immorality. And it came from the TV, but it was the same voice I heard in March. And I knew it was me. I knew it was me. See, you know, about a month or two later, I was uh, listening to a a worship leader, and he was talking about, you know, one of the reasons why we record our worship is because the Lord told us that he's not bound by time and space. He said that we can have a, a God encounter here while we're worshiping, and it can be sent forth in another day, another time. You could be sitting there worshiping, and if you have the same heart as they had, God can encounter you right in there. And I knew that in that DVD, it was recorded like five years earlier. I encountered the same thing those people did. People, I went back and I looked on that DVD. I never found where somebody said someone was just set free from sexual immorality. And I don't care if you went back and found it. I know who spoke to me because I've been free from pornography ever since. I've been free from it. A few months later, I found myself in Bible college. August 14th, 2009 to be exact. And I remember that this Bible college had this thing called an encounter retreat. And what they do is they want you to encounter God before we teach you about God so that you get your stuff right, so that you're not becoming a, a Pharisee, you know, a hypocrite. And I was excited because I had already dealt with my stuff. So I was like, man, this is going to be something new. God's going to speak to me. I cannot wait. It's going to be great. So we go there. And, you know, I don't mean this in a mean way, but, you know, like everybody's going up because they have problems and issues. Oh, I'm so God help me. And I'm just like, yes. I'm right on target. I'm doing good. And then God says to me, son, there's more that I desire of you. And I was like, what do you mean? I made you Lord over my life. And he was like, no, there's more that I require of you. Will your heart and soul say yes? So I said, yes. And then, of course, here come the tears. 
The next day, they separate the families from the singles because we got to deal with family stuff. And uh, so they start talking about marriage issues and all kinds of things. And again, they have another altar call. Why? Because they want you to encounter God before you go to school so you don't become a hypocrite. So, you know, we went up. We, we, you know, got prayed over, went back to our seat. And then here comes that feeling that I had in April when I encountered God. And all of a sudden, I got goosebumps and chills all over my body. And I just start crying. And I'm not talking about that nice, sweet cry that we do in nice churches. I'm talking about, like, wailing. And my wife, my poor wife, she's sitting right next to me. And I look like the drunk who had an affair, who killed somebody, who needs to come and repent. And I'm like, <laughs> and everybody's gone back to their seat, y'all. Like, ministry's done. And I'm like, no, God, not again. Like, not in front of everybody. And I just, just start breaking down. No, no. And, and so she was like, honey, do you want to go back up? And I was like, yeah. So, of course, we go back up. And now all the leaders are laying hands on Ryan Aldaffer. And uh, the, the leader looks at me and says, son, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, when I was back there, God was telling me he wants me to preach to young people. And I don't want to. And I was just waiting for him to be like, son, you're wrong. God's called you to music. You're going to be a rock star and change the world. What does he say to me? He says, son, I see it all over you. God's called you to reach a generation. I'm like, what? So, of course, I just cried. Then I'm not crying because of God. I'm like, I'm sad. I'm like, why? Choose somebody cool and whatever. I want to play music. He was calling me to a generation. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean, called to young people? Man, I couldn't stand youth group. They were too weird and immature. We needed to move on. Let's be cool. Let's move on, people. I mean, my girl, we, we grew up in church together. She used to love having those like balloon, water, water balloon fights and all of the things that teenagers do that think is fun and stinky and smelly. She loved it. And she was like the queen of all of them. And I used to get so mad because like you're so immature. I was like, what do you mean reach a generation? Three years, three years, I go through a wilderness. Very much of what he's been talking about over the last few weeks about death, decay, destruction, all of that. God walking you through a dark time. Yeah, three years to get all that junk out of me before he could ever use me. Yeah, I mean, I served in the church and I did this and that, but to, to change a generation, he had to remove everything out of me that was of me so he could put nothing but Jesus because what was going to attract this generation, which I didn't know, was Jesus, not me. And the only way that I was going to be able to be used is if Jesus could be seen through me. So I had to let him work all that out. We go to the end of our time at, our, at the Bible college and the last few months that I'm there, all of a sudden, I start getting the same prophecies that I had when I first got there about God calling me to reach a young generation. Your pastor even prophesied that I was going to pastor young people. And I remember thinking, yeah, I love you, cousin. You're great. I was like, no. But I knew it. I knew it deep down in my spirit. I knew it. And then God gave me this phrase, sonship revolution. And I remember thinking, that is a big phrase, <laughs> sonship revolution. Any word that has revolution in it, you're either a, a crazy charismatic or you're a revolutionary, <laughs> you know? And I literally thought, there's no way. There's no way. You, know, you got to remember, and you may not remember, I, I grew up as a person who just, I, I idolized music. So there was no reading books. There was no public speaking versus, I hope y'all like this next song. And God was calling me to do all of these things for a generation. 
No, I can't do that. All of a sudden, the doors flung open and this millennial age group started flocking to me and Amanda. They started calling us mom and dad when we were only like five years, seven years older than it was like they saw something else that, that I didn't see. They saw it. It's because God had removed all that stuff out of me to make me a pure vessel. And all of a sudden, they were seeing Jesus. And let me tell you, it was just like the days of the disciples when they were called. They would literally go back to their, their schools and their environments, and they would say, hey, come with us. We, we found this, this group that's, that's just, I mean, they were just saying just like the disciples said, we found one whom the scriptures prophesied of. Come, come see. And they would just bring people. And literally in six months, we went from five young adults in that millennial age group to 17 to 45. Nine months later, we started a ministry. We had 100 kids. And like half of them were calling me dad. And I was like, I don't even know you. How am I your dad? I, I don't even have a physical child. Something was stirring, shaking. We started to see breakthrough like never before. I, I, I want to mention a couple of these things here I think is so profound. We started seeing people set free from fear, condemnation, guilt and shame, pornography, homosexuality, suicide. My associate pastor almost killed himself back when he was a young, young man. And now he's an associate pastor. You know what he's a pastor over? Life groups. Why? Because he's had an encounter with God, been transformed. But you know what? Through all of this, there was one single message. And that is, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to forsake everything that is significant to you. Take up your cross and follow after him. This was the message that Jesus said to multitudes and to his disciples. And it's very interesting because if you study that out in Mark 8, when Jesus says, if anybody desires to come after me, what it's talking about, the things that he mentions there is, he says, you can't give yourself prominence, the most important place in your life. I have to be that. Otherwise, you, you can't be my disciple. You can't come after me. And then he makes a statement. He says, take up your cross and follow after me. You know what that means? It's an idiomatic a, a phrase that means that because of the cross, prepare yourself to suffer. And then he says, come follow me. You have an entire generation that wants to be a part of something. They want to feel valued. Yes, they are lazy. And they, are, they think that they, every, everybody owes them something. The millennial generation is the way they are because of our parenting. That's why some people that are actually born in that time period may not be a millennial. They might be an ex-genial, which means that they fit in ex and millennial. They're tech-minded, but they're hard workers. But what we found is all that these people wanted was to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And they wanted to give themselves completely to it, but they had to believe in it. They had to know without a shadow of a doubt that it is what it is. And that you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. And Jesus had that. Jesus did say forsake all of that, but what do you get in return? All of him. All of what he has to offer. You get complete transformation. This was the message of the gospel. Somehow we've preached this gospel that's all about prosperity. And there is prosperity in God. But you forget about the part that you have to give up everything to get to the prosperity. Listen, listen, God blesses us. In America, we see so much blessing in the prosperity of the Lord. But do you know what prosperity we're experiencing? The labor of those who were sacrificed for us to be here. And here the millennials had this mindset. They had the mentality of like, well, somebody else already did it, but I get the benefits. 
That's not the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom isn't just believe one time, confess one time, and you're good to go, locked in, you got your pass into heaven. God wanted all of you. He wanted every part of your heart and your mind. And what I love about what your pastor's been teaching you about in this season is this should be a lifestyle is that we're constantly allowing God to look into our places and say, is there anything that's taking precedence? Is there anything in my life that's maybe dark that I'm hiding from, from you that I'm not allowing to bring it to the light? There's a reality in Christ. He says that when you embrace me fully, you become a new creation. It says in Ephesians, it says that you were darkness, but now you are light. And then it says to walk as children of light. God wants to, the reality of what he sees you through Jesus, he wants to do on this earth. But it takes your cooperation to say, God, here's all of my heart. Here's all of my mind. Take every part of who I am. This is what this generation needed to hear. So many people are wondering, well, what do the millennials need? They need Jesus. They don't need another creative sermon. They don't need a fancy building. They don't need, that's what people say when you study the research. They're a human being. They've been made for Jesus. The Bible says in Colossians, all things were created through him and for him. They need Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Not me. Because I'm not cool enough, people. I Seriously, I like this. They don't like that. They want to wear clothes from the 60s and all this hiked up stuff and super tight pants. Bruh, I'm not going to wear that. <laughs> and yet, we are attracting him one after one after another, and it's all because of Jesus. So we moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, because the Lord tells us to plant a church. We get to Chattanooga, and we find out, thank you, Barna, it's the most churched city in America. And I say, that's brilliant. We're so glad we came here to plant a church. Of course, we don't talk to the Lord like that. We talk to ourselves, but we all know who we're really talking to. And I just began to say, no, guys, let's pray about it. You know, the Lord wouldn't. I mean, because literally my pastor told us two weeks after we had sold our house, so we're waiting for it to close. He's like, yeah, hey, I heard that uh, Chattanooga is the most church city in America. 59% of all residents go to church. Oh, you know what we failed to see? In that 59%, almost 70% of them are over the age of 55 the baby boomers, when they all pass away, guess who's left? The millennials, and they're not in church. Why? Because they don't want the institution of church. They want a vibrant relationship with God. They're not against church. They're not against service. Have you been seeing some of the statistics? They're not against giving. I have more millennials give more money financially than I do than the baby boomers. Why? Because they don't understand our ministry. They don't, why, why are you guys so all about young people? I don't know. This is what God's doing. By the way, they're not all young. Some are 38. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. But I want to tell you about two people. A man named Andrew and a man named JP. When we get to Chattanooga, it was a wake-up call for all of my leaders. They had been serving in Dallas, Texas, and God had done some great things there. But when we got to Chattanooga, it was dry. It was hard ground. And boy, everybody had an expectation of what we should be like, who we should be like, what, what, how we should do our services. Even in a charismatic environment or a non-denominational environment, if that's what you want to call us. They started having this little name for us. They called us Baptocostals. Because <laughs> y'all preach the word, but y'all sure do like to worship and praise and move around. Your pastor's lively, you know. 
Baptocostal, we'll take it. But when we got there, there was this girl who had been on a, a world race, had been all around the world doing missions work. And she connected with one of our girls who had been on the world race at a different time. It's 11 uh, countries in 11 months, I believe it is. And so they connected, and she was like, yeah, yeah, uh, that's so awesome. We've been looking for a church or whatever. She's like, oh, where do you live? They happened to live two doors down from each other where the new apartments we had just moved into. Two doors down. Invites her to church, so she comes for a few weeks, and she keeps telling us about this husband she has named Andrew. And we're like, well, when are you going to bring that man, you know? And she's like, well, he's not really, right now he's kind of, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Next week, we see him in service. Oh, I cannot wait to, for him to watch this video. He literally just sat there and was just like. And he's a good old boy from Tennessee. So he was like, I'll see what pastor's got to say to me. He sat there, watched me the whole service. Then I noticed he kind of went like this. And then all of a sudden I noticed halfway through the message, the Lord completely changed my message. I mean, I just started talking about church history. Started talking about all these different individuals who gave everything to Christ and it transformed their life. I just started telling all this stuff. And literally, this man was transformed. After service, I come down, I sit down with him, and the Lord just says me to just sit with him. Just sit with him and talk with him. So I sit with him, I talk with him, I tell him story after story about what God's done. And this man was just mesmerized. He was just taken back that I had given everything to God, and then God just completely transformed my life. And he's like, and you don't smell funny, and you don't act weird, you're normal, and you constantly talk about Jesus, and I'm not offended. And I was like... Thank you. He accepts Christ as his Lord and Savior. Makes him Lord over his life. Gets set free from sexual immorality. Gets radically transformed. I mean, like, filled with the Spirit kind of stuff. Speaking in tongues kind of stuff. Like, and he's like an evangelist. We didn't know this. He's telling everybody about Jesus. Oh, man, you got to come to the rally, man. Jesus is doing some big things at the rally. Okay, I go to First Baptist down the road. He's like, no, 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 man. Got to come, got to come. He's telling everybody about Jesus. Three, four weeks later, we have this guy. His name is JP. He walks in the door. You can tell he's got a rough life. Big baggy clothes. Smells so bad. Drugs and alcohol. You can just tell the dude just got a rough life. But, he, but, he, but he's, he's young. He's cool. But you can tell he's had a rough life. The Lord tells me not to change my message that night. So I preach on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It just happened to be another night. And after service, the Lord tell me not to go speak to him. So I don't go speak to him. Who goes and speaks to him? Andrew. Andrew goes right over to the man and says, hey, man. Sits down with him. Give you a visual. Andrew's this white country boy. This is African-American thug guy. And he's over here talking. He's like, hey, man, tell me about your life, man. So he starts talking. They start talking back and forth. Things go on for, I mean, 30, 45 minutes. I mean, church is done. You know, we've done had community. Hey. Time to go. They're still talking. I go outside to put my stuff in the car. I'm getting ready to leave, y'all. And Andrew comes running out to me with his wife. She's this cute little white girl. So sweet. He comes running out to me, Pastor, we got to do something for this man. God, God's going to transform him. I just know it. God's going to do something powerful. You need to tell him. You need to talk to him. And I was like, okay, okay. And she was like, I don't know what to do. I'm really afraid. And I was like, okay, well, we're still going to go talk to him. Turns out he's a third-generation gangbanger. He's had generational leaders in the prominent gangs in our city. He had come into the, the church because he was walking by, and he was like, 
tortured over the last few months because he had somebody close in his family who had been shot to death. And he was walking by our church and he was like, God, I'll give you one more chance. I don't know what to do. He didn't even know God. He just called out to God. And he walks by and he sees our church, which is on a Friday night, by the way, at that time. Because that's what God told us to do for young generation, the millennial generation. Walks into our church service, sits the whole service, talks to him. He starts telling me all of his story. Starts talking about how bad things are. I mean, the things that he told me in like a 20-minute period, I thought, my God. The church is so blind. They have no idea what's going on around them because they're so consumed with their issues and their problems that Jesus wanted to remove so they could see the one. They haven't let Christ deal with everything so that Christ alone is there. As he began to tell me his story, I began to just speak so much life to him so boldly. I don't know what was, just came upon me, but I was like rebuking this gang member. And I was telling him about you're living in sin, blah, 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 all this stuff. He looks at me and I thought, okay, either I'm going to die right now or God's going to move. And he looks at me and he gets this, this kind of snarl. And he says, you know what, pastor? He said, ain't no one ever talked to me like you do. I said, you my pastor. <laughs> Started discipling him. He became a son immediately. And then we went through a season where God was testing what he said he wanted. What he said, I'll give everything. He had to get out of the gang life. Now, he's a leader, so he has, there's, there's all these ways of getting out of gangs. So he had to fight his way out. Picked him up the next day after he had been in this gruesome fight. And he had all these messed up stuff all over. He had a tooth in his shoe. And I said, you got to stay the course, man. you got to stay the course. Jesus is with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. you got to be fully submitted. Don't give up. Jesus transforms, man. Not, not these special talks. Jesus transforms. So he starts working with the city. He starts, starts trying to get back on track, working a job, but he's having a hard time because he could make in, in, in two drug sales what he makes in three months working with the city. city has no compassion. They're trying. They're trying. They're, look, come on. The whole city's not saved. They don't know what to do. You had a dude that says he wants to have a life change. Does he really? And here we're walking through with this. And then two of his bodyguards get shot and killed. And they take the bodies and they put it on his dead relative that had just passed away a few months earlier. It was a sign to say, we know you're still here and we know where you are. And he called me crying and he's like, Pastor, I don't know what to do. He's like, I, I got to fight for myself. I got I to stand up. And I said, no, you can't. It's not the way of Jesus. You can't do it. You got to just give him everything. Don't stop. Let's move forward, man. Forget about that mess. I would talk for hours on the phone and the spirit of God would just come on the phone with us and invade every space of our conversation. And by the end of it, you could hear him like putting guns down saying, okay, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it. But there came a time when all of this happened that the judge said, you gotta go. You cannot stay in this city because you're causing too much violence by being here. He's like, but I want to change and I want this. And he says, you've got to go. And that, it was too much for him. For some reason, in his mindset, that made him so much more angry than the, the benefits of following Jesus. He judged two situations. And he said, you know what? God's not really with me. I can't do this. He called me. He said, Pastor, I love you. I love your family. He said, you'll always be my dad. He said, but I can't do this. I got to go back. 
I, I understand what you're calling me to because I grew up in gang violence. We respect and we have this, this army. I understand what you're calling me to, but I can't do this. I can't do it. He was 23 years old, the heart of the millennial age in 2017. And all he had to do was to stay the course. See, what we failed to mention to people is that even if you die for Jesus, be found running after him with everything that is inside of you. And I saw that man turn back. I started seeing the effects of his decision. And occasionally he'll text me, he'll call me, and he'll check in with me because he loves me so dearly. But he hasn't stopped. He still has stayed in that life. And I'm telling you all, if he lives that way and he doesn't repent, he'll die by the sword. He'll die. And my message today is this. We want to see a generation change. And God has given us an anointing and a blessing to be able to minister to this millennial age group. But the message is no different to any of us. Yes, there's different ways in which God has us minister, but the message is the same. Is that Jesus did not say, if you want to follow after me, pray this prayer. Come to church, give a little bit of money in that sweet box in the back. He didn't say that. He said, if you want me, you come after me with everything you have. Don't give yourself prominence. Don't give yourself a place of preeminence in your life. It has to be me. Take up your cross. Be ready to, to suffer for your decision to follow after me. But then he says, come Follow after me. I'll end with this story of a young rich ruler, which I believe is pretty much the heartbeat of all a millennial generation. The young rich ruler, the cool thing about it, and I'll just summarize it. He's not a young rich kid. He's a young rich ruler. So the Bible says that when he came to Jesus and he asked him, how can I have eternal life? Jesus says to obey these commandments. He basically says, you know, give yourself to God and, and live according to the word of God. And he says, I've been doing those things. What, what else should I do? Because this is the majority of millennials. They're like, yeah, I grew up in church. Yeah, I've been doing this. Yeah, yeah, I've experienced that. But then Jesus says, you lack one thing. I'm not, I'm not preeminent. I don't have the first place. I am not Lord over your life. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. Mark actually says that Jesus looks at him and loves him and then tells him, go sell everything you have. Come follow me. The Bible says that the young man does not go away mad. He goes away sad because he looks at two situations. As a young, rich ruler, he knows what's a good decision. And he looks at this decision. And he looks at Jesus' decision. And he judges between the two. And he says, man, I really want to follow Jesus, but I feel like this is the better decision. And Jesus walks away from there. And the disciples say, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Did you know that there are theologians and scholars that say that the young rich ruler might possibly be Barnabas? Let me tell you something. Jesus isn't calling you to just say a sweet prayer. Come show up at church, fill a seat, be comfortable. We're glad that we can do those things. But the message of Jesus in where he can change every part of your life is give him full control. Give him every bit of your heart and your mind, every part of who you are, and he will transform your life. And I promise you, you will see a generation change, not just millennials, but your own generation. Let me pray over you for a moment. 
I just want you to be still for just a few moments. We, just, we have just a little bit of time left. But I, I want you to allow God to show you places in your heart that you've been resisting him. I'm very grateful that the Lord has given us a generation, a, a goal, and a vision. But my heart, more than anything, is for the body of Christ to come fully alive. And for every person who doesn't know Jesus to encounter him in a real way. Jesus changes everything. Father, I just pray over every heart and every mind right now. I ask that you would speak to every person. Reveal yourself to them, God. Reveal yourself to them that that would give them an opportunity to make a decision to see who you are and follow wholeheartedly. Keep your eyes closed. I feel like the Lord gave me a couple words for you today. So there's a few of you who have been resisting him because you know the cost. In this season, as your pastor has walked you through the fact that God wants to deal with all the dark places, all the places that we don't want to face, that are hidden, the Lord says that if you will just trust me, I will bring healing to that place. But if you resist and reject me, there will be no healing because you have resisted it, not because I have not willed it. The Lord is calling the church to repentance not because it's, 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 it's the story of our only, it's not just the theology that we need to have. It's, it's that we need to get back in alignment with Christ. Because if you're resisting, you're in rebellion. And that, the Bible talks about it's the same as, as witchcraft. But your God loves you. The word declares to cast your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. I speak peace over your heart and over your mind. I speak deliverance in the place that you need a breakthrough. I speak the reality of Christ in heaven right now over your reality. His kingdom come, his will be done right now. No longer will wayward children be a wayward. They will come back. They will come back. And we won't just glorify God because of a prodigal son. We'll glorify God because he is true to his word. Those of you who have been hurt, God wants to restore and redeem you today. Not, not a time to come right now, today. You're here right now. I speak healing and I speak peace over your minds right now in Jesus' name.